0: Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm
1: Buzz Eisenberg,
0: And we are joined by Carol Rose, who is the Executive Director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, what we like to call righting wrongs. Carol Rose, thanks so much for being with us. It's a really important week for civil liberties and civil rights here in Massachusetts. Let's start with what is happening with face surveillance here in the Commonwealth this week. Please tell us
2: Great. Thank you, Bill, Buzz, all your Mm -hmm. listeners. It's so great to be here. I always enjoy this. Um, Yeah. So this is about keeping people in Massachusetts safe and free from face surveillance by the government. Uh, And so last Tuesday, uh, the Joint Committee on the Judiciary at the state legislature actually held a hearing on this legislation that would uh, implement The recommendations that came from the Special Commission on Face Recognition Technology. Um, And you know, this is really interesting because this is a bill that was put together based on analysis um, from a a group of people that included not just the HCLU and the NAACP, but the state police, then Attorney General Maura now governor, uh, current Attorney General Andrea Campbell. So this is a rare moment where you see people across the spectrum of political views coming together to say we need to regulate this new technology, this face recognition or face surveillance technology to make sure we get the benefit of using it, um, you know, for lost people or things like that, but that we don't get the negative side. We need due process protections on this new technology so that we get the benefit, but not the harm. And that's what this bill is all about.
0: Okay. So Carol Rose, Executive Director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, back up a second for us. What is face surveillance and what is the technology? What does it do and how does it work?
2: right so these are technologies that are being rapidly developed that would be able to track us wherever we go you know it it takes a look at your face and it analyzes how far apart your eyebrows are from your nose and things like that and so um it's used to try to track people or to and and sometimes you can use it in good ways or potentially at least convenient ways like to open your phone and things like that the problem with Is that much of the time it doesn't work and it particularly it doesn't work very effectively for people of color and particularly for women of color so there's been a lot of studies that show that for whatever reason and well for the reason because the the it they develop the 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 application based on large data sets which are primarily have more white people than people of color in them and so they're more accurate in some instances than others so, so, so let, me, here, let me
0: interrupt. So when you say doesn't work, does that mean gets it wrong?
2: It gets it wrong. And so there have been a number of instances of people being falsely arrested. I mean, just last August, there was a woman uh, in Detroit, I think, who was arrested, handcuffed and taken away in front of her crying children. It just simply had the wrong person. Um, so we this is not it's not yet accurate. But even if it were to become incredibly accurate, it's really, you know, dystopian, to think that wherever you go, um, I mean, you can't take your face off, right? You can uh, decide you, you know, you don't want to bring your cell phone with you, if you're going to be tracked on your cell phone, there are things that we can do to keep ourselves private, whether we're seeking medical care, uh, going to a social engagement or, or any kind of an assembly, whatever it is, protest movement, um, the notion that the government could surreptitiously monitor wherever you go, track you wherever you go, based on your face, like that's just really scary so what this bill would do and that's why it's so there's so much broad support for it what this bill would do would basically say there are due process protections there has to be a warrant a, a, to be able to do this there has to be a reasonable probability that you're engaged in crime it has to be more than the current standard of relevant and material to an investigation it has to be an actual due process warrant it has to be centralized so that the bill would centralize these um uh, the application at the state uh, police headquarters and so if somebody the if government wanted to get access to this they'd have to go to a centralized location to do it so we can track what's happening um again there are due process protections like notice requirements and things and then it would really prohibit the really pernicious things like mass surveillance at football games or a peaceful protests or uh emo- so-called emotion analysis which is a crock anyway it doesn't really work um and so this is just common sense regulation oh come on tell us how again, you really to feel let us use- And I know, but it's like, it is so pernicious. Um, And especially it's pernicious because it's racist. Um, But it's pernicious no matter what. I mean, the notion, we don't want to live in a total surveillance society. We want the benefits. Maybe people, I don't do it, but maybe other people like to do it to open their cell phones and things like that. But you don't want the government, you know, tracking us everywhere we go and wherever we go um, without any regulation whatsoever. I mean, you know, without any regulation, people can use it to, you know, track their you know, ex-wives or ex-husbands or, you know, to do whatever they wanted to do with it. We need to have common sense protections in place. And this bill uh, that's currently before the Joint Committee on the Judiciary uh, would be a really good step in that direction.
0: So, Carol Rose, I want to make sure I understand how this works. Uh, someone uses their phone and takes, takes mm-hmm. a photograph of you uh, at a, at, a, at some event. Um, they then would take that photograph and they can submit it. They said they don't know who you are and submit it to uh, an agency that has this, uh, I take it a large array. It's kind of like a photo array, but it's obviously all on computers uh, and has access to this database to say, who is this person? That's what we're talking about.
2: Well, right. Right. I mean, right now, a lot of this stuff is gathered. They, they train it from the RMV, right? When you give your driver's license. And so there's like databases that say, who is this person? Oh, it's Bill Newman. Right. And so they can do that because that your face is out there. But the question is whether the police can then just go and randomly say, we're going to go through the, the everybody who is at the peaceful protest, right? Because we're, we're mad at those people and then sort of say, oh, here we're like zeroing in on and we found Bill. And so now we're going to track Bill wherever he goes. That's what you don't want. You don't want this sort of unfettered use of the face surveillance technology where you do a, It's a, a matching technology, but it's an algorithmic time, matching technology.
1: But at the same time, Carol Rose, uh, we just uh, the headline on this morning's Gazette is about a fellow who is a January 6th uh, involved. He was determined mm-hmm. to be that guy by facial recognition technology that is i think he was stopped by the amherst police or by local mm-hmm. police for something and then somehow they confirmed that it was him by using facial
2: technology
1: you're distinguishing right. that situation
2: so, they, so the police would right there's a warrant if there's a crime if there's a criminal investig- you know, a, a crime that's being committed you could have a, you know if it's relevant if it's you know relevant to a ongoing investigation, there's a criminal investigation that's going on, right? You just have to go get a probable cause warrant, which is not a particularly high standard, you all know that. and go and you get a warrant and you say, we're looking for this person, and then you can do it. There's also like an exception if there's an emergency situation, right? So exigent circumstances exception as they call it in the law. Um, so this wouldn't hinder the ability of the police to do their job. And that's why the state police and the attorneys general, the last two attorneys general have both supported these kinds of regulations. What we're talking about is preventing it from being used with that regulation whatsoever. Um, that, that would pre- enable people to stalk people or to uh you know target people who they don't like for other reasons um not related to a criminal case so what we're trying to do is to make sure that we enable the government to use it in legit criminal investigations and things which i would say the january 6th investigation is but would prevent it from being used merely to track people or target people who the police or the government don't doesn't like.
0: So, Carol Rose, I understand why this bill or how this bill would restrict the government's use and law enforcement's use of face recognition technology. I I, I get that. And as I understand it, the bill says if you law enforcement want to access these databases, you have to have a legitimate reason and you have to apply for a warrant to get to the database. Is that, that the core of it?
2: Yeah, that's the core of it. Okay, It's pretty straightforward and pretty simple, Bill.
0: Okay. So um, is there anything that needs to be worried about with regard to private actors in this space?
2: Um, Well, sure. Um, I mean, you don't want to have a situation where you have private actors who are using it for discriminatory reasons, but there are other laws in place that protect against discrimination. Um, You know, what, what this would do is really to restrict law enforcement the the government the people who can take away your liberty right through arrest and prosecution so we're starting with that cuz that's the most fundamental and if we get to that then we can start to turn our attention to other folks who might have nefarious reasons but laws exist out there to prevent stalking to prevent harassment to prevent um you know that those kinds of things already and and they generally don't have access yet. Individuals don't always have access to the technology. But right now, law enforcement does have access to the technology, just without restrictions. So we're starting with that. And if we can get this, this basic, you know, protections passed. Um, that would be fantastic. And by the way, I mean, it's so interesting. So we drafted this uh, as a really important um, protection. And we had this commission came out. And while the le- Massachusetts legislature has yet to adopt it, um, both Maine and Montana actually used the recommendations from the commission. And they passed laws to protect their citizens. And also California representative Ted Liu has actually filed a, legis- a federal legislation based on the recommendations of this commission. So we're just hoping that given the good work that the commission did um, and how it was able to come up with something that groups from the NAACP and the ACLU to the the state police and the attorney general's office could all agree were the right thing to do. We just think that this is a very straightforward and common sense uh, bill that we hope the Massachusetts legislature will pass to protect the people of the commonwealth.
0: So, Carol Rose, executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, I don't want to be, uh, how to put this, snatching uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. But this sounds like the oddest amalgam of supporters that may have ever been put in the same either Zoom call or room at the same time. why why, Why is law enforcement supporting this?
2: Because I think law enforcement recognizes that they want to have the tools. They don't want to have wrongful arrests right? Because that's what's happening. You're having people who are being wrongfully arrested. Just so happens all of the people that have been reported wrongfully arrested across the country have been black people. Um, and I think the law enforcement recognizes that if if they continue to have stories about how this technology is leading to wrongful arrests, that they're going to be in a situation where people are going to want to ban it altogether. So this is a compromise situation. This is a compromise bill that would enable law law enforcement to use it for the good potential reasons that it has, but would prevent the abuse of it and the misuse.
0: So there was a joint hearing before the Joint uh, Judiciary Committee or Joint? Okay. That's correct. Uh, Meaning it's a committee of House and Senate members. Uh, Right. What's the prognosis? What happens next?
2: Okay. Well, so the next thing that happens is all these committees have to advance the bills um, by early February. It's called the Joint Rule 10 Day. I don't know what the joint rule 10 day means but it basically means if you don't put it forward by then it's going to die now this committee actually favorably reported out this legislation last year uh, and the senate gave it, its initial approval and the house passed it overwhelmingly so it just didn't quite make it over the finish line and because this is just such a common sense bill other states are, are adopting what the good work that massachusetts developed we just hope that the committee will pass it forward and that the house and the senate will just pass it um it really isn't controversial, but it really needs to happen because the impact, if we fail to do it, could be more wrongful arrests based on a misapplication of face surveillance technology.
0: Well, it may not be controversial, but it also didn't pass last legislative session.
2: Somehow. Yeah. Somehow. I'm. I'm. <laughs> we're hopeful that the legislature will do it this time.
0: Okay. One vote for the Massachusetts legislature doing it right this time. One last question about the hearing this week at the hearing at the State House. Uh, yeah. did, did you feel that it went well? I know ACLU representatives were there, other uh, in privacy groups with privacy uh, as a focus of their interest were there testifying. Uh, was it well received by the members of the legislature?
2: Yeah, no, I think it went well. I mean, honestly, this really is one that we just need to get it done. It's a common sense bill. There's a broad range of support for it. Um, the people of Massachusetts overwhelmingly support it. Um, we just need to get it done. And, and I don't want to say it's a housekeeping thing, but it it almost is. It's something that just needs to happen. And I just hope that as the horse trading that goes on in the legislature um, in all of these bills that goes forward, that this is one that doesn't need to be controversial, doesn't need to be traded for anything. It's got across-the-board support from law enforcement and civil rights groups. And the people of Massachusetts deserve to have the protections that citizens in Montana and Maine now have. Uh, And because we develop the protections and the protective uh, laws in the in the framework it's important that we now just get it over with and pass it and go forward because there's other things we need to be working on and letting this languish any further is uh just not a waste it's a waste of time to let it languish so i hope it, i I'm, I'm confident and hopeful that our representatives will do the right thing and pass protections on face surveillance
0: another matter before the legislature this week Mm. Bill, regarding overdose prevention centers, is this coming to Massachusetts? This is the question we'll pose to Carol Rose, executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, right after this.
3: to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local
4: talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Miss Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator.
3: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts.
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman.
0: The Co-Op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The Co-Op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyo. Put a little oven in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow.
5: River Valley Co-Op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
6: It's Massachusetts
3: basketball at the Mullen Center, Saturday, December 2nd, as UMass welcomes the University of South Florida for a 1 p.m. tip-off. All young Massachusetts fans are encouraged to wear their youth basketball jersey to the game, and the first 250 kids wearing a jersey will receive a free mini basketball. Kids can also enjoy pregame poster making on the concourse. Saturday is for the kids at the Mullen Center, and they want you there. Visit umassathletics.com slash tickets to get yours today. Brace yourself for the ultimate holiday deal with Consumer Cellular. Snag an incredible 50% off the Iris Flip when you buy before December 17th, making it only $34.50. The Iris Flip is all the phone and camera you need with a user-friendly design, the perfect flip phone companion. Plus, you'll get nationwide coverage and always free activation. Score 50% off when you use promo code RADIO50. Head over to ConsumerCellular.com and use promo code RADIO50 during checkout to score this deal. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation with Carol Rose, Executive Director of the ACLU of Massachusetts. We have been talking about the face surveillance proposed legislation in front of the legislature and are hopeful about its passage. There was a hearing this past week on that bill, and there was a hearing this past week as well on another bill that could bring great benefit to persons in the Commonwealth, and does in, it does bring up serious civil rights and civil liberties issues. This is a bill regarding the possibility of opening overdose prevention centers here in Massachusetts. Can you tell us about that bill, what it does, and what its prospects are? Please, Carol? Yeah, so,
2: so thanks. This is a bill really about saving lives in Massachusetts by embracing harm reduction and passing legislation that would enable cities and towns to establish overdose prevention centers. Um, And so it was held in a hearing that was before the Joint Committee on Mental Health, Substance Use and Recovery, which is actually chaired by um, Senator John Vilas, who I think is representing, what, Hamden and Hampshire counties? Um, It
0: it is a local district that he represents, yes. Yeah.
2: So anyway, at this hearing, medical providers, public health experts, uh, DA David Sullivan, Um, and a whole group of people came out strongly in support of the ability to establish overdose prevention centers here in Massachusetts, um, because it's a way to prevent people from dying, as simple as that. Um, And by the way, a poll that just recently came out by Beacon Research showed that 70% of Massachusetts voters support this bill. Uh, And so it really has majority support among Democrats, independents, Republicans, just across the board. again yet another common sense bill that would help keep more people safe uh by making sure that we have harm reduction and overdose prevention centers so that people don't die from overdoses
1: carol rose what would a center look like what would it do
2: so an overdose prevention center is basically a place where people can go um they would bring uh they wouldn't get their drugs there, they would be able to take them there and there would be trained health specialists there to make sure that people don't overdose, to make sure that any needles or things like that would be disposed of properly and not left out on the streets. Um, And in the course of doing that, you would be able to talk to people and reach out to people to help them to get treatment um, and maybe to not have to do drugs anymore. Whenever these have been tried in other countries, now New York City has set one up, uh, we've just seen that people, do so much better, and we can help people to get the health care that they need to get off of drugs rather than trying to criminalize it. You know, public health crises deserve public health solutions. We can't arrest or criminalize our way to ending the opioid epidemic. You know, by the way, in New York City alone, uh, the site that's been set up, it's been used over 90,000 times by about 4,000 people, with over a 1,000 uh, overdoses reversed, and there have been no deaths. So like whenever it's been tried in a pilot way, it's been shown to save lives. And I think all of us understand the tragedy of substance use disorder, the tragedy of the opioid epidemic, and we need to have a public health solution to it. And that's why 70 percent of Massachusetts voters surveyed across the political spectrum support having the ability to set up overdose prevention centers to save lives.
0: Well, you make it sound like it's so logical, would do so much good that there couldn't possibly be opposition. Um, am I being just a tad Pollyannish
2: here? Oh, just a tad bit, yeah. Bill. I mean, I think there's still so much stigma with, uh, you know, to substance use disorder. There's so much fear around it. And, you know, we all know that fear is like the worst possible motive. It's, it's an effective motive in politics, but it's not the one that leads to good policy solutions. And I mean, just thinking about it here, despite the state's efforts already on opioid use disorder, um, six people die of drug overdoses in Massachusetts every single day right? And these are preventable deaths, six people a day. Um, If we can help people to get the treatment that they need to be able to go to a safe place, it's safer for everybody else, but it's also safer for those people. And it gives an opportunity, a bridge to reach out to them in a caring way to help them to then get treatment and hopefully uh, overcome their substance use disorder um, in a way that keeps them safe and all of us safe.
0: Let let me Mm interrupt. I'm I'm sorry. What's the fear that people are going to bring drugs into these centers, and more drugs will come into neighborhoods that weren't there before. Is that is Correct. that the fear?
2: I think, I think that's the fear. I think it's I think it's an irrational fear. So it's hard for me to explain it because they think it's the notion that well, if one of these is here, it'll attract people coming here. But actually, the research has shown, um, again, where this is this has happened, is that there in New York, it was just in fact it was a new study that just came out that showed that violent and property crime rates were near overdose prevention centers have do not increase at all, like there's no there's no impact on, there's no good or bad impact, right? But it does show that fewer people die um, and that you can get more people into treatment if you have a way for them to go in a place where they aren't being judged, where there are people there to prevent overdose and we're about to people and treat them um, in a humane and public health kind of approach rather than an incarceration or criminal law approach.
1: There is this long history with respect to needle programs and the like. People think it's like government condoning drug use. That's one of the objections, Bill, that I think we've heard. It's Mm -hmm. just so short-sighted.
2: Right. No, it's exactly right. You, you know, there, I remember, what was it, maybe 10 or 12 years ago when there was a lot of opposition uh, to needle exchange. And now it's sort of like everybody goes, oh, it really works. It's a common sense public health approach to addressing this so we don't have dirty needles on the streets right, or in the playgrounds. Well, that has been shown to be effective. And here, in the more than 100 locations around the world, including New York City, overdose prevention centers similarly have been shown to address the public health crisis and in doing so keeping the rest of us everybody safe
0: so what happens I I so what happens next with this bill
2: so, similarly, this bill has, has to go before the Joint Rule 10 Committee, so we're hoping that the Joint Committee on Mental Health, Substance Use, and Recovery will favorably pass this out and then um, in early February. And then from there, it will be decided, uh, be taken up, we hope, by the House and the Senate and passed. Again, 70% of the people and voters polled in Massachusetts are supportive of this. This is the kind of thing that should go forward without a lot of opposition. Um, and the main thing we need to do is to make sure that all of our lists, all of your listeners are contacting their state legislators and saying, please pass the, the bill on face surveillance technology and, and constraints. Please pass the bill on overdose prevention centers. It really matters. You know, if they even get like two calls or three calls in their offices, that's so much more than they ever get otherwise. So let your legislators know, you know, let, um, you know, Senator Vela know that you want this to pass, that you, you believe in it. And if you do that, it has a chance. One or two calls can make a huge difference in the state legislature. And
0: Carol Rose, one note, you got uh, Senator Vilas's district exactly right. It is the Hamden and Hampshire district, which consists of the city known as the town of Agawam, uh, the city of Chicopee, uh, some precincts there, Holyoke Westfield, Montgomery Westfield, Montgomery Russell West Springfield, in Hamden County and East Hampton and Southampton in Hampshire.
2: You know, and I just want to say it really makes a difference when people call your legislators here in Massachusetts. You know, one of the things we at the ACLU often hear is, well, I haven't heard from my constituents about that. So really pick up the phone and let let them know, however you feel, even if you disagree with us, Um, you know, go forward and and make that call because I think lift your voice, be part of your democracy. It really makes a difference. And I think on uh, regulating face recognition technology and uh, providing for the ability to have overdose prevention centers. Those are two good bills that will help keep our communities both safe and free.
0: Right. You mentioned something that goes back years and years and years. But when John Oliver was a senator, I went down to mm-hmm. see him uh, with the district attorney from Hampshire County, John Callahan. And he said, I've received an overwhelming number of calls on this piece of legislation. I just can't believe how interested. in it went on and on. And so on. Uh, Again, yeah,
2: democracy works. Raise your voice.
0: And what he said was, I I wasn't sure this was a great question. I said, Well, Senator, how many calls did you get? And he said, Oh, four or five. I mean, (laughs) uh, he thought that was huge. He thought that was huge. Right before you were on Carol Rose, um, there's a really good piece of news from the Massachusetts legislature regarding calls from prison. Tell us about that, yeah.
2: Yeah, this is a good news story to end on. Um, so starting on December first, uh, we have a new law that was passed uh, by the legislature and signed into law by Governor Healy that says that we're now the fifth state in the nation that permits free prison and jail calls. Um, you know, people who are in prison and jail, we know they do so much better. Um, the vast majority of people come home and they do so much better in, in being able to rejoin our communities if they stayed in touch Mm -hmm. with their families. Um, It's the most important and humane thing we can do. So this is a bill that was passed and goes into effect today. Um, That basically says that our prisons and jails can't profit uh, from trying to charge exorbitant rates for people to call their loved ones. So this is gonna permit people who are in our jails and prisons to call their loved ones uh, without being gouged financially. Um, And that's a good news story.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important story because what all of the studies show is that those persons behind the razor wire who are able to keep their connections with family, who are able to keep their connections with the world, do so much better, have such a greater opportunity to reintegrate into their communities and to be successful and to get out of the carceral system. It's such a simple fix. Let people be people.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, I just have to say, it really showed so much legislative leadership from, you know, Senator Cindy cream worked on it, Senator Liz Miranda, Representative Tyler, um, and especially, you know, frankly, Senator, uh, Senate President Karen Spilka and House Speaker Ron Mariano and Governor Moore It took leadership to make this happen. And we're just so glad it did. And we hope that similar kind of leadership will come to the overdose prevention centers and the face recognition uh, bill uh, to make sure that Massachusetts will continue to be a leader on civil rights and civil liberties.
0: Carol Rose is the executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, has been for some 20 years. Thank you so much for being with us today, Carol. Really appreciate your time and insights. It's
2: always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure for me, too. Thanks so much. Buzz, Bill, take care.
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An Amherst man is facing charges for his alleged involvement in the attacks on the United States Capitol on January 6th. Court documents show multiple photos taken from video of Daniel Tochi in the crowd at the Capitol building. Prosecutors allege that Tochi assisted other rioters to climb the outer wall of the northwest staircase. Video images also show Tochi entering the Capitol building and again outside the building breaking a shutter off a window. Hate crimes are on the rise in Massachusetts, and the Healey administration is addressing it with a new task force called the Hate Crimes Awareness and Response Team, or HART, run by the state police. Massachusetts State Police Interim Lieutenant Colonel Jack Mon,
8: As our nation continues to grapple with a concerning increase in unlawful acts of hate, the state police will meet this moment with a robust strategy and sustained commitment to confronting bias and intolerance. By strengthening law enforcement partnerships, enhancing community engagement, and delivering advanced training and education to stakeholders.
7: There were 440 hate crimes committed in Massachusetts in 2022, representing an increase of 8.4% over the previous year. The New Haven-Northampton Canal Greenway Rail Trail Bridge and the neighboring rail bridge will both receive new lighting. The lights, which cost around $310,000, will be installed in two phases and are part of a city initiative to help improve visibility at night and encourage more foot traffic.
6: Mostly sunny today, a little breezy, warmer with a high of 42 to 46. Scattered clouds tonight. Evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 24 to 30. A little bit of sunshine tomorrow morning, but generally a mostly cloudy day with some rain developing early afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Chance for a few sprinkles in upper 40s on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local
9: news and local
6: talk for the Valley
2: it wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand i don't want that to sound like i don't support schools i have a long history of supporting schools certainly longer than any one of those city
10: councilors
3: where the heart of the pioneer valley lives 1015 and 1400 whmp news information and the arts
0: Maybe you still have your copy of a favorite long-ago book like I do about Mickey Mantle signed by my Uncle Bill, Hanukkah, 1958. A book can make a lasting impression. Something Someday is the new picture book by the presidential inaugural poet Amanda Gorman. Get it at Broadside Bookshop. For middle grade and elementary readers, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Chalice of the Gods. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store, then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop.
6: With the holidays upon us, the increase in traveling, shopping, and connecting online also heightens the need to protect your identity and finances with LifeLock. Identity thieves see this time of year as an opportunity to drain your accounts, open new loans in your name, and damage your financial future. LifeLock detects and alerts you to threats you might miss on your own. Don't let the busy holiday season catch you off guard. Save up to 25% off your first year with promo code NEWS at LifeLock.com.
7: Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Berkshire East Ski Resort? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Enjoy great skiing and riding close to home. With massive upgrades and 100% snowmaking coverage, they are ready to provide an awesome experience every time you visit, as well as fun outdoor adventures year-round.
5: Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 Store at whmp.com.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: We are so pleased to have back with us in the studio Professor Ilan Stavans, who is a professor at Amherst College, professor of humanities, Latin American, Latina, Latinx culture. Uh, we wanted to have you back with us because we had read in the Gazette about the opening of an actual physical new store for books yes. in Amherst and you are the founder and publisher of Restless Books. Nice coverage in the Gazette, a new office in
11: Amherst. For those of our listeners who don't know, tell us what it is and tell us why it is. Restless Books is a 10-year-old independent non publishing house. I am the co-founder. It originated in Brooklyn, and I am thrilled to bring it here to the Pioneer Valley. It is in downtown Amherst now on 69 Main Street, just next to The Black Sheep. And uh, we've been publishing books of uh, international writers in translation into English for all these years. I think at this point we have 140 different books in 55 different countries, 70 different translators. Uh, Every imaginable... Language. Our purpose, our mission is to uh, expand the diet of American readers, American English language readers, eh, as to what is happening in other parts of the world through literature. So novels, short story collections, plays, poetry, memoirs. And I am so happy, Bill, to be now in Amherst eh, and eh, offering this. It's both a, a bookstore. People can come and browse books and schmooze with the staff. And it is the place where we are also Editing books, making them, deciding covers, interiors, all that. Um, Amherst, as you know, is has a long literary tradition, and we are a stone throws away from Emily Dickinson. Um, this is the town of Robert Frost, of David Foster Wallace. So I'm very, very excited and proud. A physical place. A physical place.
0: Uh, I don't know how to tell you this, uh, 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 Professor, but. You're swimming against the current here.
11: I know, and I for 10 years, and I think for 62 years, I'm 62, uh, I have been doing that. It's a pleasure to be swimming against the current. That is what makes life interesting. Um, not only because bookstores are an endangered species, but reading itself is an endangered act, uh, and yet... That is why we're doing this. Uh, There is no competition in terms of rewards when it comes to reading. Not Netflix, not Hollywood. When you read, you think, you put your imagination in action, you you co-author the book with whoever put it first on those pages. And uh, even though it has been in decline uh, for a long time, reading will not disappear. The people who read are passionate about it and the people who read are the ones that push democracy forward. So Professor
0: Ilan Stavans, you just described an enormous operation with a fabulous and impressive number of titles. I know, I don't know, but I suspect that uh, restless books does not have a huge paid staff.
11: It does not. So it, how do you do this? Well, it's a the paradigm of a nonprofit, <laughs> small, a passionate staff members. We have a four or five full-time, I think a five right now, full-time a, a staff members, employees and we have a an army of a freelancers and advisors, uh, student interns, and uh, we work, our books are distributed worldwide. This is Amherst, the local place, but the books are available in London and in Sydney and in Toronto and all over the United States, wherever English language books are sold. It's incredible what nonprofits do, and it's incredible what... um, can be done with a group of uh, devoted uh, readers-slash-editors-slash-champions uh, of the written word.
0: I was fascinated to hear that Restless Books publishes in translation it does. authors from many different countries. Yep. And I'm wondering how those books are brought to your attention and how you curate what you're going to publish yes. in translation. For
11: every book, Bill, that we publish, probably we look at... 30, 40, 50 different books. Uh, Agents, translators, readers, librarians, booksellers send us ideas all the time. We get probably 100 different submissions a month. Uh, They are books from all over the world with a sample translation, a chapter, uh, two chapters. We publish a lot of children's books. Sometimes the entire book has already been translated for us to see. the marriage between the author and the translator is crucial. You can ruin a book by handing handing it to the wrong translator. There has to be a, a pairing of sensibilities. And the, the work that we do with Restless could not be done without all these people in many parts of the world that are thinking that the books can be introduced in English by this small publisher. We are one of about 10 small publishers that, is doing, that are doing this type of effort. And believe me, the, the rigor the devotion with which each of these manuscripts is read, reader reports produced, is substantial, it's due process, and eventually we choose the ones that we're going to fight for. We can't bring down... Uh, HarperCollins or Simon & Schuster or Random House, what we can do is really have the passion to show that there are other types of books that are not being published by corporations that matter. That is the purpose of Restless, to show that there's another aspect in the world that doesn't have to sell 100,000 copies. You can sell 5,000 copies and change 5,000 hearts and minds. That is good enough. So, Professor Stavitz, I maybe you just answered the question,
1: which is, Why do you call it restless books?
12: Why Uh, not restful books? Yes,
11: no, because I want the readers to get a sense, and I hope they are getting it from my voice, that after reading one of these books, you become restless. You want to read more. You want to find out what is happening. Restful seems to me like a yoga term. Restless is like, okay, go out and find more and, and, and help change the world.
0: So if we were to walk into, or when we next or first Please walk do. into the You're bookstore— You're invited,
11: as are all of your listeners. What will we find there? You will find, first and foremost, uh, a group of young and devoted staff members, uh, mostly on the left side. This. Let me tell you a little bit about the building where we are. The, again, this is just next to the black sheep. This building was a, a laundry for professors at Amherst College in the 1930s and 40s. I've done a little history digging. And after that, it was, for a long time, a barber shop. Uh, this is where I first cut my hair when I had some, <laughs> uh, uh, when I arrived to Amherst, where I took my kids begrudgingly to ha- have their hair cut. And you still have, on one of the walls, all the mirrors. We kept them from the barber shop. And on the other, other wall, you will see there are 140 different titles in many copies, and you can browse, and you can ask questions. Uh, the staff members have written little blurbs about them. So it's a, it's a bookstore tailored for you, uh, for all of the yous that are interested in really establishing a dialogue with, with, with and through books.
0: I would love to know, going back the 10 years when you founded Restless, Restless Books, was there a moment, was there some aha occasion said, I need to do this? There
11: was. Really? And this is the story. Because I that was... question doesn't work that often. <laughs> <laughs> good was... question, Bill. <laughs> Very good question. I was on a radio show on, an, on, on NPR um, as a writer and as a, tra- as, a, as a translator complaining that in the United States, only 3% of annual books come from different languages. The rest are produced and consumed only in English. 3%, the most powerful, the richest country in the world, doesn't have the patience, doesn't have the curiosity, the desire to read full-length books from other countries. And I was complaining about how complacent we are and saying that in Germany, in France, in Spain, there are many more books every year translated into those languages. And at the end of the show, the host said to me, "Ilan, don't you get tired of saying this? I've heard you many times uh, uh, complaining. And I... Oh, I
0: get it now. Having a a publisher called Whining Books was Whining not going to work. Yes, I thought it was. <laughs> it was one of the options. <laughs> um,
11: and I was, a, I was reaching fifty, Bill, and I thought either I shut up, it's becoming tiresome, or I tried to do something about it and went out and looked for a, a donor, sponsor, investor. And uh, I found a couple of angels who believed in the idea, and 10 years later, the, the project is still going. You know, a nonprofit, independent endeavor like this takes a lot of energy, a lot of uh, commitment from different people, the fundraising, the, the grant writing, but it's incredible. I would say that the health of a culture can really be measured by the nonprofits that are fighting for different aspects in theater, in literature, in the arts. If they survive, I think the culture survives.
1: And a culture that aspires to be pluralistic. Absolutely. Really requires that we expand our horizon beyond just the English language authors.
11: Absolutely, absolutely. We
0: are speaking with Amherst College professor Ilan Stavans, who will be at the Yiddish Book Center this weekend. You're going to want to hear him and we'll hear more from him right after this.
12: Honey, I know you've been alone
3: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
10: The person you're sleeping with you know things about them that maybe you shouldn't know. Like, they got up last night at three and went down to the kitchen. How do you know? You have one of those mattresses that, well, let's just say you know things you really don't need to know. Sleep on a Theralux mattress from Talon Furniture. Wait, Theralux? What happened? All Talon Furniture ever talks about is Therapeutic mattresses. Well, Theralux is simply Therapeutics high-end mattress. What makes it high-end? It's a cooling mattress. If you're not sure what cooling mattresses are, we'll show you. A Theralux mattress has a 20 year warranty and a really high coil count, which means if the person you're sleeping with is tossing and turning or gets up at 3 a.m., you won't even know. And that's the way a good night's sleep ought to go, right? Therapeutic, and now Theralux. Come to Talon Furniture, just down the hill from Amherst College. Just don't come at 3 a.m., we'll be sound asleep.
7: Let's experience fitness together. Hi, this is Jessica. And at Fitness Together, we offer personal trainers and customized workouts, either in studio or virtually. Located in Northampton and Amherst, we're here to help you reach your goals, be it weight loss, recovery and rehab, improving health, or simply living well. Getting fit, you'll have the energy to do what you love. Visit us at Fitness Together, Amherst, or Northampton, and become a part of our community today. Fitness Together, your journey to wellness starts with us. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hwardwhmp.com at or call me at 586 7400.
9: WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation with Restless Books co founder and publisher. Ilan Stavans, who is also a professor at Amherst College, professor of humanities in Latin American and Latinx culture. He will be at the Yiddish Book Center this weekend, Sunday at 2 o'clock, because he has a new book and a very different kind of book from the professor, who is, of course, widely published and uh, has this fascinating background, which we're about to hear about. The title of this book again: Two o'clock Sunday at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst. The Mexican Dreidel. Well, that sounds a tad oxymoronic, but maybe not. Tell us,
11: <laughs> oxymoronic maybe. Uh, this is it's a children's book um, for ages three to six. Uh, I am thrilled to be the co-author. My uh, the other author is Linda. Hell of it's Marshall, uh, and it tells this story. It's an autobiographical story. When I was little, we lived in, a, in Mexico City in a mostly non-Jewish neighborhood, and uh, all of the kids in the neighborhood during the Christmas season in Navidad played with trompos tops, that you kind of turn them around and put them on a circle, and they have to clash against one another. And I went to my grandma and told her that— Wait a that second. These
0: are aggressive dreidels? That's what we're They are
11: <laughs> kind of like that. I told my grandma that I didn't have a trompo and that I wanted to play, and she said, oh, but you, we have a dreidel in the family, a wooden dreidel, and I want to give it to you. Uh, maybe they'll like it, and you'll teach them how to use the dreidel. So I thought, this is not going to work. Uh, I brought my little wooden dreidel, and they all were fascinated with it. And my grandmother, before giving it to me, told me it had magic powers. Wow.
0: (laughs) So, for those of our listeners who don't know, what is a dreidel?
11: A dreidel is a four-sided little top that you play with, the children play with, during the eight nights of Hanukkah, and it, it has... In each of its sides, another Hebrew letter that recalls the miracle that happened with the Maccabees. So I took out the dreidel and uh, started playing with everybody, and my grandmother was right. Uh, Whereas the trumpets clashed and crashed and kind of fell to the side, my dreidel kept on going and going and going. And every time it touched one of the trumpets, the trumpet would wake up on its own and start spinning again next to the dreidel. And soon they were out of the little circle we had created and were dancing all over the little town that we lived, the little neighborhood. So it tells the story of the magical dreidel, uh, the Mexican dreidel that my grandma, then I lost it sometime when I was nine or 10, and the way that it helped me make friends in the neighborhood where I grew up.
0: Is this all a compilation of, Good memories for you because it strikes me that being one of the very few Jews uh, in a Catholic country probably wasn't all that comfortable all the time. But maybe I have that wrong.
11: You know, it it came being Mexican and Jewish was uh, uh, was a was a negotiation. There were anti-Semitic moments in my childhood uh, and in my adolescence in particular. I went to a university in Mexico and was exposed to both verbal and other forms of a of a negative reaction. But there were also wonderful people in Mexico. And uh, I, for a children's book, I want to certainly elevate the beauty of those encounters: playing soccer with the non-Jews in the neighborhood, playing with the trompos and the and the dreidel. Um, it's a it's it's a Mexico has been a wonderful country, and Jews have thrived there. It has not come without. That has not come without its, its obstacles and its challenges. But it, it's also a country that l- has learned from its, its uh, mistakes and its difficulties. So, Professor Elon Stavans, you are a widely published author.
0: You mm. write serious matters about serious matters. Uh, you're one of the smartest people, wisest people I know. What I'd like to know is a
11: children's book? Why? This is the future generation. This is the generation I want to talk to. I, I, I have a incredible undergraduates and graduates, and I talk and I teach in prison and I teach for seniors. But I want to really reach the next generation. Those are the kids I've been reading this book to toddlers and in the kindergartners and the joy. The excitement, they finished the story in ways that I couldn't and I didn't. So this is the readership that, of the future. We,
1: we only have a minute, Professor, but who did the illustrations, which are quite beautiful?
11: The illustrations are done by a Spanish uh, illustrator, artist that lives in the United States, Maria Mola, and I love them. It really conveys the, the beauty of the Mexican neighborhood. And uh, it's very colorful, as is Mexico at that time of the year.
0: And did you have the opportunity—most authors, children book authors, don't have any opportunity to work with the illustrator or to just come back to you as a surprise?
11: Uh, it came as a surprise, but then there was a, a back and forth, a give and take, and that was very joyful. And there's a, there are two more children's books that are in, the, in process, one for next year. And uh, I don't know if she's going to be the illustrator, but I hope that the relationship is similar.
0: Did doing this book, writing this book, producing this book bring you joy?
11: I can't tell you how much. I don't have grandkids yet, but this is the book for them whenever they come.
1: Well, I had a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. <laughs> professor
0: Ilan Stavans, thank you so very much. Professor Ilan Stavins will be at the Yiddish Book Center this Sunday at 2 o'clock for a Book Reading Signing. Q&A, Book Signing. You want this book for your kids for
11: this holiday season. Thank you so much, thank Professor. Thank you. Thank you all. And happy holidays.
9: Even though temperatures are dropping, local food never stops. Across Massachusetts, winter farmers markets are popping up, showcasing the finest handmade products and fresh produce from local farmers and small businesses. Eat local this season and experience the magic of supporting your local community. This message is sponsored by Mass Farmers Markets, a nonprofit passionately championing farmers markets across the state. Join us to eat local year round at massfarmersmarkets.org.
2: Are you or someone you know addicted to drugs? Narcotics Anonymous can help. NA has been helping addicts since 1953. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. We offer meetings and services online and in person. To find one of our meetings or to get information on what services are offered, visit www.westernmassna.org or WHMP
3: Northampton and WRSI 2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station.
7: It's 10
5: o'clock.
3: News on the hour, presented by Indeed.com.
5: I'm Deborah Rodriguez. We're expecting another release of hostages for prisoners in Israel today after a last-minute deal to extend a ceasefire into a seventh day. Negotiators are busy at work in hopes of extending that even further. As for the number of captives still in Gaza, correspondent Holly Williams asked Ghazi Hamad, leader of Hamas political arm.
7: How many hostages do you have left in your hands that are still alive?
10: I don't know. You don't know? The number is not so important.
2: But
7: what, what
10: do you mean the number
7: isn't important? People in Israel want to know whether their loved ones are still alive or not.
2: No, we're
10: raised really 70 people now. And we are continuing to release the civilians.
5: Ali Williams from Tel Aviv. Here in the U.S., Americans are weighing in. CBS's Cammie McCormick. The Gallup poll finds Americans back Israel's military action 50% to 45%. The largest percentage said the U.S. is providing enough aid to Israel. And a majority feel the U.S. is offering Palestinians in Gaza the right amount of humanitarian aid. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Israel today, where he's paid tribute to a predecessor, Henry Kissinger, who died at the age of 100. Secretary
1: Kissinger really set the standard for Everyone who followed in this job,
6: uh, he was extraordinarily generous uh, with his wisdom, with his advice.
5: Kissinger advised presidents from Nixon to Trump, and also won the Nobel Peace Prize. Need to borrow money? There's new hope. You won't have to pay even more in interest. Bank rates. Mark Hamrick.
3: The Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation is showing further signs of moderation. Core personal consumption expenditures posted a year-over-year increase of 3.5 percent. It's the lowest for that measure since April 2021.
5: Inflation itself rose by just 0.2% in October and 3.5% year over year. Dow up 2.90 right now. Have an old Gmail account you haven't used in at least two years? Google will start deleting dormant accounts tomorrow. If you want to save yours, advice from CNET's Insure. All you have to do is sign in or look at a photo. Or if you're really anxious about it, take this moment to brighten someone's day and send them a nice email. Then Google says it's not gonna do anything. Ian says those old accounts can be vulnerable to hacking and identity theft. The lead singer of a popular Celtic punk band is gone. You're handsome! You are pretty queen of New York City. The Pogue's Shane McGowan has died. He wrote some of the band's most popular songs in the nineteen eighties, including Fairy Tale of New York, before sinking into alcohol and drug addiction. Shane McGowan was 65 years old. This is CBS
6: News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com credits
13: My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called Select Quote. Select Quote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year.
3: Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1 800 330 1991. That's 1 800 330 1991. Or go to SelectQuote.com. That's 1-800-330-1991. SelectQuote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials.
5: Meta says it's found and is safe.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An Amherst man is facing charges for his alleged involvement in the attacks on the United States Capitol on January 6th. Court documents show multiple photos taken from video of Daniel Tochi in the crowd at the Capitol building. Prosecutors allege that Tochi assisted other rioters to climb the outer wall of the northwest staircase. Video images also show Tochi entering the Capitol building and again outside the building breaking a shutter off a window. Hate crimes are on the rise in Massachusetts and the Healey administration is addressing it with a new task force called the Hate Crimes Awareness and Response Team, or HART, run by the state police. Massachusetts State Police Interim Lieutenant Colonel Jack Mon.
8: As our nation continues to grapple with a concerning increase in unlawful acts of hate, the state police will meet this moment with a robust strategy and sustained commitment to confronting bias and intolerance by strengthening law enforcement partnerships, enhancing community engagement, and delivering advanced training and education to stakeholders.
7: There were 440 hate crimes committed in Massachusetts in 2022, representing an increase of 8.4% over the previous year. The New Haven-Northampton Canal Greenway Rail Trail Bridge and the neighboring rail bridge will both receive new lighting. The lights, which cost around $310,000, will be installed in two phases and are part of a city initiative to help improve visibility at night and encourage more foot traffic.
6: Mostly sunny today, a little breezy, warmer with a high of 42 to 46. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 24 to 30. A little bit of sunshine tomorrow morning, but generally a mostly cloudy day with some rain developing early afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Chance for a few sprinkles in upper 40s on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
1: And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg and I'm Bill Newman. And I'm just pleased as punch as I am every Thursday when we get a chance to learn more about the world around us and and preserving the nature which we all rely on and should use in our daily life uh, from guess who? Professor Emeritus of Greenfield Community College, scientist Brian Adams. Hello, Brian. Hey,
14: Buzz. How are you? I love that. Pleased as punch. I wonder where that comes from. I mean, is
1: punch? I could tell you
14: exactly. Can it comes you? From my grandfather. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool saying and it's an odd saying. But I'm pleased as punch to be here too. All so right. Thank you. And I'm pleased as punch to have our guest, and uh, and I will tell who that is in just a moment. But it's been a such an interesting last couple months on the Connecticut River. Um, first we had someone swim the entire length, and they were on the show with She you, was incredible. 410 miles more or less, from the Canadian border all the way to the Long Island Sound. Unbelievable. And then a couple months ago we had nah, to guess I just where, want to point out, yeah.
1: and to do so in order to celebrate the extraordinary river that we all have in our own Exactly,
14: backyard. and to call attention to its wonder and its uh, issues that that we all need to be concerned with. And then a couple months ago, someone kayaked the entire length of the river in Massachusetts and wrote about it in three wonderful sections in the Gazette, uh, and we had her on the radio as well. And today, we have on the man, Dave Rostein from Florence, Massachusetts, who is setting or set the Guinness Book of World Records for pumpkin paddling. You heard that right paddling a pumpkin 40-plus uh, miles on the Connecticut River. Dave, thank you so much for joining us.
15: Oh, it's my pleasure. I love this show, and I love what you do, so happy to answer your question. So
14: my first question is, why? Oh. <laughs> why would you get in a pumpkin, and you had to chainsaw carpet yourself, uh, this huge 1,024-pound pumpkin?
0: Why? Yeah. it's well, gr- Actually, what he was really meaning to ask is,
12: why? <laughs> yeah. Why?
0: And i pleased as punch to ask that. <laughs> oh, and, and I want you to know that pleased as punch, where it comes from, it's from the Punch and Judy puppet shows popular during the 1700s and 1800s in Europe.
14: Huh. Pleased
0: as punch, Punch and Judy. Oh, so you're pleased as the character Punch. Who well, was always pleased? My research, you're, you're at the end of my research here. Okay, <laughs> enough of this, please his punch. Dave,
14: why battle the pumpkin, the Connecticut River?
15: You know, it's a great question. I think it goes towards the little kid and all of us. Uh, when I was a kid, I would always read the Guinness Book of World Records and sneak into the library or sneak into the bookstore and look something up because we didn't have the internet then. And so it was a wonderful way to learn. What people are doing and what's the biggest this or the longest that and you know over time with the internet you can look on guinness book of world records and there's a record for everything i remember uh maybe about 10 or 15 years ago i was up in gothstown new hampshire and they had the giant pumpkin regatta where they had about 10 giant pumpkins all laid out and the townspeople decorated them everyone was in costume and they did this like 100 yard race and it brought everybody out during the holiday season and it was wonderful. And I was like, I always wanted to be in a giant pumpkin. And then I remember seeing the article about the first person who broke the record. It was 12 miles in a pumpkin. And it just kind of stuck with me. And then the idea stayed with me. And I moved here about 20 years ago. And I spent a lot of time on the Connecticut River and canoes and wading and fishing and kayaks. And it occurred to me that with a Right, right now, the record is standing at about thirty nine miles unofficially uh, for the record that because in a it, pumpkin in a pumpkin and the way that the dams occur on the Connecticut River, if it got any further beyond that, it would be really hard to break the record on the Connecticut River. so I said it's time to do it because we have this stretch between we have a stretch between um Windsor Locks down to New Haven, which is a shipping route, which is not ideal for a pumpkin. That doesn't have dams. No, no uh, I get
14: those big tankers yeah. coming up the Connecticut It's like,
15: whoa! And then we have to stretch from Turner's down to Holyoke, and that was thirty. 30- Four miles, and so I needed a little bit more. And so I was like, so the fun part about this for me was trying to figure out where the puddings are, what the river flows. And so it was a really did
0: you say where the puddings are or where the puddings are?
15: The puddings, yes, Uh. there's pumpkin pudding (laughs) with your punch if you like it. Um, Oh, how
14: much, how long can we stretch this joke?
15: (laughs) No, I want to go back to
14: the
0: first question
15: why? 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 Because it is this incredible opportunity to tell a story about a river and get people engaged. That's really the, the why. Weren't I, you
1: afraid, Dave Rostey, that if you went over one of those dams in a pumpkin, you'd be squashed?
15: Oh, uh, Oh, God. my goodness. I'm that not... was a gorgeous pun. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my <laughs> That was so
14: painful. We really got to recover we, here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's a little early to take a break, but no, we, we won't do it. Okay, right, so...
15: So the why? The why is because the Connecticut River is incredibly important to all of us, and it weaves stories, it weaves our history, it weaves our communities together, and we often take it for granted. There are a lot of communities uh, further down the Connecticut River where people don't even know where they can access it, but it also is subject to pollution, it's subject to climate change, and there's a lot we can do to improve it and improve our recreational opportunities and flowing down the Connecticut River watershed and a pumpkin with a pumpkin that was grown in the Connecticut River watershed seemed to be a great way to captivate people's attention and bring people to the river in November uh, and have people meet new friends and potentially get involved.
14: I know the Connecticut River Conservancy, based in Greenfield, is very active in efforts to steward sh- steward the river and promote um, recreation and conservation. Um, Dave, you are an attorney for the United States Fish and Wildlife Service for 20 years, and the Connecticut River is actually a U.S. Fish and Wildlife refuge, um, which is really exciting, when all 410 miles of it and a lot of the encompassing land. Can you tell us about your work with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and how that uh, pertains to the Connecticut River?
15: Yeah so my role at Fish and Wildlife Service is their in-house counsel. Uh, You know I did a lot of migratory bird work, endangered species work, fisheries work, but the thing that I enjoyed most was working with landowners to conserve their lands. And so the Silvio Conti refuge, which as you said kind of spans this 410 miles of the river through four states, um, it was established in the 19 late 1990s early 2000s um, and its first acquisition was uh, at third Island which I believe is in right, sandwiched between Hatfield and uh, Sunderland um, and so my work at Fish and Wildlife Service was to help help uh, create the, the planning for this large refuge, but also to work with landowners to uh, acquire lands and then work with partnerships. And so, as I found while I was in the Connecticut in a pumpkin, that's nothing I could have done on my own. Like, that turned into a community event. It was a teamwork exercise, there's no way Uh, without everyone contributing that I could have made it. And I feel it's the same way about caring for the Connecticut River. We all have to take a role and work together to conserve it. And so the refuge is there, but there's also an incredible partnership among organizations, land conservancies and folks who use the river to protect it. And, you know, Jim McGovern just introduced, at the same time that my pumpkin went into the water, he introduced uh, some new legislation with, Gene uh, Shaheen, which is the Connecticut River Watershed Partnership Act, which would bring millions of dollars into the Connecticut River for restoration, uh, for protection, and for to to increase uh, accessibility um, and equity in the area.
14: We're talking with Dave Rothstein. He is a land protection specialist now for Massachusetts Audubon Society and a World record pumpkin
0: paddler.
15: Woohoo! Oh, I That's am true. pleased as punch. <laughs> C-
0: could you go back, Dave, and just enlighten us as to what is necessary to making to make a pumpkin seaworthy or in this case river worthy?
15: Oh a dash of craziness, <laughs> lack M- of more judgment, than a dash. <laughs> <laughs> a mother who doesn't know that you're doing it. <laughs> um you know that there are actually a lot of logistics, and that was the hardest part. Paddling the pumpkin was physically exhausting, but finding the pumpkin, getting it to the river, getting it weighed, hollowing it out, getting the access points, making sure the GPS was working, having people providing you know food, having paddlers with me. Uh, and then just the collective energy.
14: Take, it takes a village to paddle a pumpkin.
15: It does. <laughs> a waterlogged pumpkin. A waterlogged pumpkin. How Can much you... did it weigh? It weighed. So this is the pumpkin that came in second at the Big E this year in terms of weight. So it was 1,024 pounds. <laughs> it was grown by a
14: thousand. Uh, You're hearing that right, <laughs> listeners. 1,024 right. pound ton pumpkin. pumpkin. <laughs>
15: That's right. Half yeah. a ton. Wow. Yeah, it was grown by a guy named Peter Thayer, who works for the Springfield Water Supply uh, District and Water Treatment Facility. And I grow my own pumpkins, um, but because of the torrential rains we had this year, mine kind of died on the vines and got up to about 300 pounds. So I kind, I, I, said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then we had all the flooding, and I was like, there is no way, getting to the health of the Connecticut River, that I'm going to be floating in that river with the E. coli and all of the combined sewage overflows that were contributing from all of those surrounding towns.
14: And the river essentially shut down for yeah. recreation all of most of July and into August.
15: Yeah. So I kind of gave up on this dream. But then all the news articles about the pumpkin way offs hit and I was just like, no, we've got to do this and we gotta do it now. And I was I was lucky to get a hold of Peter's number. It wasn't listed. So it took me about three weeks. And so that pumpkin had been sitting for like a month. Since he had cut it. And so we didn't know what the content inside would look like, if it was all mush or what have you. And so he brought it down. We brought it to um, Adhesive Applications in East Hampton, which has John Fry, the sealer of weights and measures for Northampton. East Hampton said they're the only ones who have a scale that are gonna be able to weigh this pumpkin truly for Guinness standards. So we brought it there. Everyone there was enthusiastic. And we had a bunch of their people come out to the the, the pumpkin course and root us on. And so it really was, Is each step of this journey, as much as it's a pain in the butt to put all of it together, is another layer of the people who right, will be coming together in the future. And tomorrow. there are 8
1: billion people on this planet we have in the studio, number one in record the world. holder in, in the, the world <laughs> for climbing into a pumpkin and paddling
15: down a river. Exactly. Unbelievable. Now, now, I will say this, just because I have to. This is not my record, This is our record. I did this with the people of the Connecticut River Valley and for us so that we can celebrate this together. I want to
0: know how many people in this enterprise are – I don't know how to put this – or as adventuresome, there we go, as you are. I mean, was there competition for who got to be the paddler?
15: Well, I paddled the entire way. I think it was the other people who were paddling accompanied me in the kayaks to rescue me from the rapids <laughs> and when my pumpkin filled with water and when I didn't think I could make it across the confluence of the Deerfield and Connecticut because because <laughs> it was flowing really fast. And
14: you're bailing, so, bailing every 10 minutes, bailing yourself
15: out? Is yeah, that right? Uh, so the pumpkin had a small leak because <laughs> of its age. Oh, no! And you had to... You Tell had to you balance know. it. So it was like a low rider of a pumpkin. Remember the, the motorcycles? I think they're prohibited in Massachusetts now. Oh, yeah, the, easy rider, the, the easy rider ones. The where, easy rider ones where you're like, your butt is down low. I and saw so, easy rider, yeah. yeah and so the pumpkin was a low rider in that my it, it was carved in such a way that the balance would eliminate the leak, but it would make my butt ride maybe about an inch and a half Above the water. And so as the pumpkin was going side to side, because it doesn't go. Dave is
14: making forward. kayaking
0: motions
15: with Sorry. his arms, yes. radio listener. D- yes. Dave,
0: Dave, could you go back to Buzz's question? When you're paddling a, pump, paddling a pumpkin, <laughs> what I want to know is are you concerned about uh, running into a rock? I mean, that would not make a big deal in a canoe, but in a pumpkin, that yeah. could be uh, really bad, perilous. Perilous pumpkin. Yeah.
14: <laughs> Perilous
15: <laughs>
0: pumpkin padding.
14: Whether I padding. was
15: concerned or should have been concerned, I think, are two different questions. But <laughs> there, the beginning of the course was the, the hardest in that it was really shallow on the Deerfield River. Actually, it was actually high for the Deerfield River, but it's so low and so rocky that— Within the first five minutes we went into, it was like a, a bucking bronco ride with the pumpkin was just bouncing around. And my biggest fear was that one of those rocks was just going to gash a hole in the bottom because it, it, when it grows that big, the bottom is flat. Holy smokes. And smoke. so there was one time we got stuck on the rocks and had to kind of like gently rock back and forth to get out.
1: There, there has to be a documentary made. of. I've got the name, Life of Pumpkin Pie. How's that for a name no. of a documentary? Golly, I'm not I'm great. on today. I think, I think listeners want a break. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with David Rossine. Actually, I have a serious question, which is the first light, the what goes on up in Northfield, and you as a protector of all rivers and fish and wildlife attorney who protects our environment, I'd like to know about the clash between FERC and those agencies which are intended to protect our environment. We'll be right back with David Brostew no right after this.
12: Baby,
3: Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
9: Where is your pain? In your knees? Hips? Your back? Don't let it sideline you any longer and don't let them tell you surgery is your only option. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, restoring and repairing damaged joint tissue the natural way, using healing properties from your own body to bring you lasting relief with no drugs and no downtime. QC Kinetics is trusted by patients all over America with 150 clinics nationwide. Get started now so you can live big in 2024. Talk about a great, use of your FSA and HSA. Put them to work getting you the relief you need so badly. And again, there are no drugs, no downtime, and no surgery. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Let their medical professionals give you a better path towards that pain-free life. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450.
7: Banking with Greenfield Savings Bank is more rewarding than ever with our free YouChoose Rewards. YouChoose is our Debit Cards reward program that rewards you every time you use your GSB Debit MasterCard. YouChoose Rewards is free, and with YouChoose Rewards, you'll earn points that can be redeemed for dining, shopping, traveling, cashback, donations, and more. Link your GSB Debit MasterCard with your mobile wallet, including Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, and PayPal. It's easy to start earning with YouChoose Rewards. Just go to our website and sign up for You Choose Rewards for your GSB Debit Mastercard. It's free. All you need to do is sign up and you'll earn rewards every time you use your GSB Debit Mastercard.
3: You Choose Rewards, the free debit card rewards program that earns you points every time you use your GSB Debit Mastercard. Sign up today at greenfieldsavings.com/youchoose. Greenfield Savings Bank, Member FDIC, Member DIF. you're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back with uh, <clears throat> uh, we're eavesdropping and interjecting ourselves in a conversation between Brian Adams and Dave Rothstein who paddled the Connecticut in a pumpkin and uh, <laughs> 40 <laughs> and, miles and, of the Connecticut. But That's Brian weird. Brian <laughs> talked about um, calling attention to the Connecticut and, and all its wonders and, and what it offers our life, but it, there's also <laughs> threats to the Connecticut River, Brian, that um, I think it's important for us to ask David about.
14: And certainly one of those issues that that have drawn a lot of attention is the pump storage facility in Northfield. Uh, listeners um, may know or may not know that above the Turner's Dam, um, pretty close to the Vermont-New Conne- uh, um, Hampshire line uh, in Northfield, uh, is a huge hydroelectric facility. In fact, I think it's the largest energy facility in New England at almost a, 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 a billion watts, right? It's 900-something megawatt. Uh, it's a pump storage facility. Water is sucked out of the Connecticut River, up the mountain, into the reservoir, and then pumped down through hydro uh, generators to, to produce energy. Um, and when electric demand is down at night and the price is down per kilowatt hour, Water is pumped up when energy demand goes up during the day. Water is pumped down to produce electricity. But the effect on the Connecticut is pretty profound. Dave, your thoughts on the hydro uh, pump storage facility in Northfield?
15: Yeah, it's a really interesting question with a lot of complicated parts. So I th- the way that I like to answer this is, and this is my personal opinion, it doesn't represent Mass Audubon or U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, is that I think the the two biggest issues are a lack of awareness on the part of consumers as to where their electricity comes from. It's very easy for us to turn the dial and turn up the heat or turn on the air conditioning or just turn on our computers or a light switch. But most people don't know about, uh, you know, open versus closed cooling systems for power plants most folks don't know about the adverse effects of dams of wind power of solar and i I think what we really need instead of having a discussion about what's always listed as the panacea the next type of technology is to really be able to honestly compare the adverse effects of all of those and make a collective choice about the direction that we wanna go because the reality is we can try to band-aid systems like nuclear and hydro um, and coal and gas-fired plants and gas transmission, but we need to have a holistic approach going into the future about how we either dismantle or rearrange the allocation so that we can do that smoothly. I mean, I'm not necessarily in favor of, you know, a little bit of everything above, but that or a realization that that's going to be in place until we either change our regulatory structures to um, promote environmental health more than we are, or for people to speak up and change the system in another way.
14: You're paddling the pumpkins. You started on the Deerfield River, right? Is yes. that, and then came in through the confluence of the Connecticut down to the Turner's Dam. So you didn't experience that... Section where water is actually sucked up into the Northfield pumping station. That's right. Yeah. I'm glad you weren't sucked up into the Northfield <laughs> pumping station in a pumpkin. That would that would, that would, would not be a good thing. The pumpkin um, station. The pumpkin. The pumpkin pumping, <laughs> the pumping. Pumping pumpkin. Say that 10 times fast. Um, COP28 starts today. That's the Council of Parties. It's the major international United Nations climate change conference that happens every year. This year... Uh, it is in the in Egypt, I want to say, in one of the Middle East countries. Forgive me for for not for not knowing that. Um, your thoughts on climate change, and I want to I want to back back up a little bit and set the scene. Not only are you a pumpkin paddler, not only are you, were you an attorney for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, um, and now currently a land protection specialist for Mass Audubon, but you're an ice sculptor as well. And the whole issue of climate change has had an impact on your passionate hobby, not that you're not passionate about pumpkin paddling, but you're also passionate about ice sculpting and and, and you don't do that as much. So first, tell us about ice sculpting and then tell us about the impact of climate change.
15: Sure. Uh, I primarily sculpt in snow um, and ice and I do sand, mostly ephemeral art and so... I got my start when I lived in Alaska, like 20-something years ago.
14: Ephemeral art here today, gone tomorrow, essentially, right?
15: and and oftentimes it is tomorrow Uh that that it's gone, given our, our weather. And so I love what I do because it gives people a great appreciation of winter at a time where people are sometimes a little bit lowly and times are dark. Um, and I try to do larger-than-life installations, you know, 20 feet tall, 20 feet wide, big. It can be abstracts. It can be animals, and I travel the globe during the wintertime kind of spreading the gospel of the winter arts, and the problem being it's hard to do it now because I would say in the last five years, 75% of my events have been canceled because whoa, whoa, of the
14: weather. whoa, 75% of ice sculpting events canceled because there's, it's too warm?
15: Too, well... The snow events. The ice events, the ones that are based on natural ice have also been subject to, to climate change. The regular ice ones, not so much, because it's man made ice and can be delivered. But for the snow arts and the in and, and that aspect of the winter arts, we've been hit. Like you get your sculpture up and one day can be fifty-three degrees and raining and the next day it can be, you know, below zero. And so uh, it's not as predictable of a, an art form and sponsors are pulling out and we would have trouble finding hosts for our events. And so a lot of snow sculptors are moving to sand or they're moving to, like I do, hay sculptures uh, in the summertime. That's a problem. But I would encourage folks, if you're interested in what climate change means for winter, to look up an organization called Protect Our Winters, which is an incredible coalition of athletes, outdoor gear, Folks, uh, mountain resorts, and uh, artists who are working together to uh, encourage change and protect our winter and our winter artists.
14: Protect our winters. Yeah,
15: pow, p o w.
14: That's so so interesting, um, Dave. You pad you pa- you set the world record or the Guinness world record. Hopefully, once we it comes did. in, we you we uh, did. They um, did they did they did. Uh, November 4th through 6th, a 40-mile pumpkin paddle. A take-home message about the Connecticut River you'd like to leave with listeners.
15: Yeah. How much time do we have? It's about one minute. One minute. When I started my career, bald eagles were endangered, and we didn't have any on the Connecticut River that were breeding. By the time I got mid-career, we were delisting the bald eagle, and when we paddled the pumpkin, we had... Two bald eagle pairs, which are they're going into the breeding season, follow us from the deer field for the first thirty miles. They accompanied us, and no so yeah, and from, they were like,
14: a, "What the heck is yeah. this?"
15: And so that was remarkable, and it just tells the story of right the resilience, but also the need for teamwork and the fact that we ended at dinosaur footprint. Just kind of tells the you know the the timeless tale of the Connecticut River, which will far outlive us and was here long before us
14: so you went all the way from starting the deer field um and then portaged around the turner's dam uh, uh, go, we
15: came in before the turner's dam so we just had to cross over oh right and then down to and holyoke. then
14: all the way down to holyoke where the dinosaur footprints are the trustees of reservations have a wonderful little site um there which is which is pretty spectacular um any way for folks to who are interested in protecting the Connecticut River, what, what can they do and where can they where can they go? Sure. sure,
15: one, experience the Connecticut River and find your way out there. Two, support organizations like Connecticut River Conservancy or your local uh, land conservancies, Hilltown Land Trust, Franklin Land Trust, Mass Audubon, Kestrel, um, and pay attention and see what's happening
14: and we haven't even had a chance to talk to you about your work as a land protection specialist for Massachusetts Audubon. We've talked with Dave Rostein. He is a river af- advocate, a sculptor, a photographer, uh, attorney, and a pumpkin paddler on the Connecticut River we're going
1: to have to have David back yeah. I mean,
14: lots to lots more to talk about that we didn't get to Dave thank you so much for you're being with us you're
15: most entirely welcome i'm pleased as punch to be here <laughs> you know i thought
1: that i thought cinderella had the best ride in the pumpkin but move <laughs> over <laughs> yeah cinderella. move over cinderella <laughs> okay this is cinderfella <laughs> thank you so much dave we're going to be right back it is music time
3: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An Amherst man is facing charges for his alleged involvement in the attacks on the United States Capitol on January 6th. Court documents show multiple photos taken from video of Daniel Tochi in the crowd at the Capitol building. Prosecutors allege that Tochi assisted other rioters to climb the outer wall of the Northwest Staircase. Video images also show Tochi entering the Capitol building and again outside the building, breaking a shutter off a window. Hate crimes are on the rise in Massachusetts, and the Healy administration is addressing it with a new task force called the Hate Crimes Awareness and Response Team, or HART, run by the state police. Massachusetts State Police Interim Lieutenant Colonel Jack Mon.
8: As our nation continues to grapple with a concerning increase in unlawful acts of hate, the state police will meet this moment with a robust strategy and sustained commitment To confronting bias and intolerance by strengthening law enforcement partnerships, enhancing community engagement, and delivering advanced training and education to stakeholders.
7: There were 440 hate crimes committed in Massachusetts in 2022, representing an increase of 8.4 percent over the previous year. The New Haven Northampton Canal Greenway Rail Trail Bridge and the neighboring rail bridge will both receive new lighting. The lights, which cost around $310,000, will be installed in two phases and are part of a city initiative to help improve visibility at night and encourage more foot traffic.
6: Mostly sunny today, a little breezy, warmer with a high of 42 to 46. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 24 to 30. A little bit of sunshine tomorrow morning, but generally a mostly cloudy day with some rain developing early afternoon, a high of 46 to 50. Chance for a few sprinkles in upper 40s on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This Sunday, the Hot Chocolate Run is back. And WHMP will be there broadcasting live from downtown Northampton as we celebrate its 20th anniversary. Safe Passage provides survivors access to legal counseling, housing and economic advocacy, and much more. But most importantly, they help create a sense of hope. Every single program at Safe Passage is funded largely in part by the Hot Chocolate Run. And you still have time to run, walk, or volunteer. Register now and join at a great cause at hotchocolaterun.com. It's the 20th annual Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage with W. HMP
13: every child has a spark that's waiting to be ignited that deserves to be ignited at the Bement school we know each student's story we know them as individuals kids at Bement understand that academic success is an important part of who they are not the only part but an important part their teachers guide them on that quest individually and as a group fostering a sense of responsibility for learning The Bement School serves students in kindergarten through ninth grade. It's a close-knit community of students from Western Mass, from other parts of the country, and other parts of the world. Forming bonds with students whose households and cultures are different gives them a broad perspective on the world, even at this young age. As much as academic success is important at Bement, so too is how students learn to live Bement's core values, compassion, integrity, resilience, and respect at school and in their communities. Take a closer look at Bement.
7: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at or call me at 586-7400.
9: WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits.
1: That time of the week where I just get to Learn more about music. Who doesn't love music? But um, I guess there's a riddle I have for you, Ruth Griggs, which is, uh, what do what do cellos and chocolate have in common?
4: Well, with the guests that we have on today, they're both delicious.
12: <laughs>
4: so <laughs> that's a lovely segue. My my guest today is Dave Hoy who is a, uh, who's a growing bud of mine in, in the music world. We actually attend Edwards Church together. Um, he and his wife and his two beautiful children. And I have heard uh, Dave play his cello at, at Edwards, and I've um, heard him play in other environments. He is a man who, as someone has said about him, Dave changes the way people think about the cello.
1: Wow, that's really, it's beautiful. Before we go any further, uh, for those people who don't know Dave, you pronounce his last name Hoy, but how do you spell it so people can find out more about him? H-A-U-G-H-E-Y. And that amounts to Hoy. Learn something <laughs> that's new that's every spelled. day.
4: That's the <laughs> Irish heritage speaking. But anyway, so, so um, Dave is a cellist, an improviser, a composer, a teacher, and what I think is the most interesting about Dave from what I've heard of him is, A, yes, he changes the way you think about the cello, and B, he plays every genre. So, Dave, I'd love to start with like, what inspired you, who inspired you, what experiences inspired you, um, probably as a young person, yeah. to pick up the cello and to evolve your playing to what it is today, which is (laughs) genre-less?
16: Well, that's a big question. Um, I can start with why I picked up the cello, which is when I was about five, and my parents were asking me which instrument I would like to play, and cello sounded a lot like jello, and that was (laughs) all I needed as a (laughs) five-year-old. Uh, to, to, <laughs> I happen to instrument. love Jell O, yeah. so that was really yeah. funny for me. <laughs> it was, it was a really, it was, it was all I needed. My, and I think it did, didn't hurt that my parents also really liked the instrument, and so they were happy to let me choose for whatever reason. Um, so that, that was my early, my early choice, um, in quotations. Um, then probably one of my earliest big influences besides my parents who were both musicians and music teachers. Uh, so we grew up in a, I grew up in a really musical household. My sisters played music. It was all day, every day, my entire awesome. life growing that up. That is a beautiful thing. Um, so that would be the number one influence of course. Um, but if, if I were to look for external, um, influences, the one that keeps coming up in conversation when I've been talking lately is, uh, an album with, Uh, that was made by Yo-Yo Ma and Bobby McFerrin called Hush. Mm. Which I still, every time I come back to, uh, it just, it blows my mind again because it's uh, so original. Two people with kind of diverse backgrounds. Really, really original, uh, original sound because, you know, Bobby McFerrin is this wizard who kind of comes up with all of these unusual ways to deal with the voice. And then Yo-Yo Ma is, is a classically trained cellist, but so game to try anything that, uh, you know, he started with that. And then he did the, the Appalachian stuff, and then he did Brazilian stuff, and then he did uh, tango. And he has all of these adventures into different genres. And I, I really think that that was a huge part of it for me, was looking at this this guy who was ch- changed the way I
1: thought about cello Well, two sure. incredible you go. musicians and, and <laughs> Uh, very wonderful people as well, from yeah, by all accounts. Yeah. But it's this is so timely, Ruth Griggs and Dave Hoy, because last night I took Larry Hott, our uh, Florentine Films uh, mm-hmm. uh, documentary commentator, who comes in and teaches us all manner of things about wonderful films. He um, did a piece here on this show about the American Symphony, which is a story of John Batiste, not just about his music, but mm-hmm. about uh, just as he was winning, he was nominated for 11 Grammys one year, and he won two Grammys, including Best Album of the Year, a- at the same time that he found out that his wife was um, in a, it. Just, it's a love story mm-hmm. about an incredible musician and his wife who had this terrible cancer, and she mm-hmm. needed bone marrow transplants. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm mentioning it is John Batiste, the music that we hear throughout is all different genres. Mm-hmm. He ta- He he assembles in his American Symphony. Yeah. Uh, played at Con- Carnegie Hall, folk musicians, jazz musicians, rock musicians, and they come up with the most extraordinarily interesting yeah. music as he's. Helping his wife get bone marrow transplants, it was a really beautiful film, mm-hmm. and you just reminded me of what I watched last night. Yeah, well, I'll have to watch that
4: Well, and I, I, I do think that, especially with you, Dave, who has, and we, I want to talk about this. You have a very strong Brazilian influence, yeah. and you have played all around the world mm-hmm. with many different. Um, uh, Orchestras, ensembles, individuals, including the Paul Winter Consort. He was in Japan, playing with the Paul Winter Consort earlier this year when I wanted to have him on the show. So, needless (laughs) to say, we couldn't do that. But, but I think that, you know, to your point, Buzz, that that international exposure brings a wealth of creativity and innovation Mm. to a musician's music. Yeah,
16: yeah. There's certainly. uh... I think we're growing up in a time where we have so much access to so many things, you know, uh, that True. I, I grew up already listening to a wide variety of music, and now with the internet, YouTube, Spotify, now we have access to everything from all over the world. Um, and I think we see that a lot with people in my generation and the next generation. I'm 38, so uh, we see that a lot with people who really are pulling from everywhere around the world. Uh, the big thing, though, that I would say I learned, rather than just the influence from all of these different uh, styles, is really how to um, to value and understand or, or search for the values that are inherent in in a specific style of music. So when I say that, uh, you know, going to Brazil and not assuming that me, even though I have a classical background and maybe a, and a jazz degree, that I'm going to go in and have something to, to teach them, like that the The important step is to go in, try and understand what they value in the music, and try and learn that rather than, you know, be able to play the notes. Um, that was really exemplified for me in, when I did my master's degree in, in improvisation. Um, Where uh, that was at University of Michigan, and I was studying with Jerry Allen, who is a really fantastic um, uh, pianist. If you haven't checked her out, you should. Um, she is one of the great piano uh, jazz pianists of. The best,
0: Dave. Could few you go years. back for one to one thing you were talking mm. about for just a second? Mm. You, you were talking about why you were gravitated towards the cello,
4: which oh. I thought
0: was fascinating. Probably well,
4: because it rhymes with jello. Yeah. He said he told it, you it that. It was Bill. easy. <laughs> I, got, I,
0: got, I, I got I got that for right. it. Um, and and mellow yeah, and, and a few yeah, other things. Yeah. But how old were you? And, I was five. And how did that go over? Where most kids say. I want to be a rock and roll star with a guitar or something yeah. like that. How, did, how did, did that make you different? Well,
16: I did. I did. I wanted to be a rock and roll star also, and I also played guitar and bass, and I, you know, I played trumpet growing up. Um, I, 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 I dabbled in everything I possibly could, um, and I was excited by jazz. I played in jazz bands through college. I sang in choirs through college. Um, all of those things affected me. And where did you go to college? So first, uh, northern Colorado was where I did my undergrad, and my master's was at uh, uh, University of Michigan. Um, and so those, all of those things influenced me, but at some point I kind of said, okay, I can be mediocre in ten things, or I can try and be really good at one. Um, I loved playing cello. I'd been playing my entire life. It's a natural thing for me. And so I, uh, I kind of decided to rededicate myself and try and learn all of those different things on the one instrument rather than trying to, you know, play jazz on bass and whatever.
0: And there's an outlet for that skill, that really amazing skill here in Northampton? Well,
16: you have to kind of create them, yeah. But there there are there are opportunities around here. I get to play every once in a while uh, in Northampton. And I, I play... Around the world. He plays
4: around the world. (laughs) And we're lucky to have him here in Northampton. And one of the things that that he's starting to do is to be introduced into the jazz scene. Uh, last month, he played um, at the Marigold Theater with Paul Arslanian, at, uh, the pianist Paul Arslanian, and Richie Barche, who is just this amazing drummer who used to play for Chick Corea. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to to hear briefly what that collaboration was like. What is it like to be on stage playing for the first time with a drummer that you've never played before uh, it, was,
16: it was great. I mean, and that's something I've really come to value as I, as I get older and have less time in life is being able to land in a situation um, that feels comfortable immediately. And that's how I felt with those guys. We rehearsed for, you know, an hour and a half or two and then played a show. And it was a full, the full concert, an hour and something, hour and a half maybe. Um, and it was great. You know, it's, it's the, you have, when you're playing with people who can communicate and listen and, and give, you know, interact, um, it sometimes doesn't need a ton of work and that's really nice. (laughs) That's really nice.
4: You know, I'm going to segue briefly, um, uh, because I want to, I want to play a tune that Dave, um, has That he's done with his collaborator. And his, his collaborator is Abigail Stauffer. Um, so he also works um, and composes and arranges with this female vocalist, um, Abigail Stauffer. And um, she is also a songwriter, um, as Dave is a composer. And there was something on your website, which, by the way, is dave, H A U G H E Y, music.com, out there. Um, um, she spoke about how um cr- you were creatively and emotionally um vulnerable, and that you learn to feel safe with each other, mm. and that you you learn to trust each other. and that that sense of um trust and vulnerability, you must have felt that a little bit on the stage at the Marigold the other night. You know, suddenly you were on yeah. there, you yeah, you'd played for an hour and a half, but there's a certain vulnerability, but if you if you find the trust um it 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 holds you up.
1: Well, let's get a taste of that.
4: Let's get a taste of that with this tune um, called Pulling Teeth. It's
7: the only guarantee.
10: Just wait, and you will see everything change.
9: Sometimes the work I'm doing feels completely useless. Progress is elusive, and I'm sliding down the wall I've climbed. But it's then I find when I'm
2: feeling most discouraged. The page is finally turning, and something will change.
3: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
13: It's getting very, very merry in downtown Amherst. Tomorrow, a very merry maple lighting. Gather around on the Amherst Town Common for the lighting of the tree, cider and donuts, and s'mores. The UMass Minuteman Man marching band, photos with Santa, horse-drawn carriage rides for all. A very merry maple lighting. Tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. on the Amherst Town Common. Plus, tomorrow and Saturday, hard days get merry with downtown Amherst merchants 20% off all day merry 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 downtown Amherst
10: do you think the Amish sleep in horse-drawn beds whatever beds they sleep in the Amish build beds that are simply beautiful with subtle arts and crafts touches there's an old Amish proverb the most important things in your home are people maybe so but those people need a place to sleep Amish-made beds from Talon Furniture. So good-looking, so well-built. Talon has Amish beds ready for delivery, or order in the wood and finish you want. Then, we have beds made in Vermont that have all of the craftsmanship of Amish beds, made from cherry or maple, but these Vermont-built beds are just a touch more elegant in their design. How about an upholstered bed? An upholstered headboard and frame. It's a really nice look and feel, Talon Furniture's upholstered beds come in dozens of fabrics and leathers. In between today and tomorrow, there will be time in bed. Spending that time in a nice bed just feels good. Come to Talon Furniture, the little bed boutique just down the hill from Amherst College.
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman.
10: The Co-op's kitchen is always stirring things
0: up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos, Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co op has all your baking essentials like ground up flour and grains, stone milled in holyoke. Put a little oven in the oven, breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow.
5: River Valley Co op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
3: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
1: And we are back. This wonderful conversation between Ruth Griggs and Dave Hoy that we get to eavesdrop on.
4: We get to eavesdrop And wasn't that a treat, listening to Abigail Stauffer on her on their original Pulling Teeth? And they do have an, an album that's that's planning to come out in 2024. And that was such a treat to listen to that honesty in her voice. Speaking of treat, there's a little Piece of deliciousness that we talked about at the beginning of the show about Dave Hoy, and that's his Brazilian connection. And how does that, how does that treat in Brazilian connection relate to you here in Northampton?
16: Well, uh, I am married to a Brazilian. Uh, her name is Mariana, um, and we. Her family has a cacao farm, and they have been growing cacao for four generations. Um, so. A few years ago, her brother and his wife and I started a chocolate company making chocolate out of the cacao from my wife's family farm. Uh, And then last year in 2022, we opened a cafe here in Northampton that sells our chocolate and many other things. Called Ana Bandera chocolates.
4: <laughs> we all know Ana Bandera chocolates, <laughs> which is where Hinge used to be. It's it's right there on Main on Street, Main Street yeah. um, just a l- couple doors down from Florence Bank. So, mm-hmm. and Dave, that's also a place where people can come and hear you play yeah. from time to time.
16: Yeah, we have music going on there uh, pretty regularly, almost every week, sometimes a few times a week. Uh, there are a lot of Brazilians who come and play from time to time. We have singer-songwriters. We have a fiddle, a fiddle session on Thursday afternoons, old-time fiddling. Um, so there's a lot that goes on, and you can come, you know. Just check us out and find stuff.
4: And it's Friday, t- typically Fridays and Saturdays. Fridays real informal. Saturdays.
16: Yeah, it's and that's the thing. It's not. It's definitely not a formal music yeah. environment. It's just come and
1: hang
4: out. I M- remember music
1: and chocolate. It, that's yeah. my bucket list,
16: right Well,
4: there. I, and I, I just before we move on to hearing Dave play his cello live in the studio, which I'm so excited about. I'm about to burst. <laughs> um, and he's going to be playing Amazing Grace. He's going to be improvising on it. So do not. Do not change that dial. But I, I just wanted to say, yes, chocolate and music goes well together. We had you know, Ron Carter and his band here at the Jazz Festival a couple of years ago. Dave made some, some cookies with his famous <laughs> chocolate yeah, in it. And Peyton Crossley, the, um, the drummer, went nuts for those <laughs> cookies. So we are going to hear another treat right now. And that is Dave Hoy, cellist, owner of Anna Bindera Chocolates, playing... Amazing Grace. One
1: more time. Hoy is spelled H-A-U-G-H-E-Y. He's got a website. Check it out.
4: everyone was here to listen to this. You've got to go to hear Dave Hoey and Benjara Chocolates Main Street, Northampton, and keep an eye on him. DaveHoeyMusic.com
1: How sweet the sound. <laughs> <Thank> Amazing. <you. laughs> Amazing great. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you so much, Dave. So, one, one more time. The, your, your website? Uh, DaveHoeyMusic.com That's
16: D-A- or D-A-V-E-H-A-U-G-H-E-Y Music.com
1: Ruth, thank you so much. Thank you, my listeners, pleasure. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for joining us again on Talk the Talk. We'll be here with you tomorrow. You're listening to Talk the
3: Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Bye to the people. Tag your it, Bye Tom to Hartman. The Weekdays the at people. noon tom hartman program your home for the resistance commentary conversation and common cause join me tom hartman every weekday from noon to three right here on
9: whmp 101.5
3: and 1400 whmp
8: hi this is tom from
1: 4-h what will the next 100 years look like for today's youth According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth supported by adult 4-H club leaders are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon, engineer, and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4-Hers not only dream about, but are preparing for. Join the 4-H team. Call me, Tom, at 413-545-0611.
3: WHMP Northampton.